Thank you for tuning in to the Black Money Tree Podcast, hosted by entrepreneur, investor, and philanthropist, Jerome D. Love. We are committed to teaching you how to build wealth so that you can build your community. At the Black Money Tree, our goal is to empower wealth creation and create economic self-sufficiency in order to empower generations to come. Society grows great when old men plant trees whose shade they know they shall never enjoy. Powered by Wells Fargo Bank. Welcome to the Black Money Tree Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Black Money Tree Podcast, Season 2. I'm so excited about this season of the podcast and our whole initiative. It's a black boom going on, and our theme is boom, building our own marketplace. There is a huge need for African-American businesses because they create wealth within our communities, and the Black Money Tree is committed to helping you build wealth so that you can build your community. And we focus in two areas, entrepreneurship and real estate. And today we have one of the, uh, I would say the world's premier entrepreneurs, real estate investors, and a tremendous leader uh, and pastor who is helping to create wealth and empower communities across the globe. And I'm really excited to go into this conversation and talk. Uh, he's a historian as well. So we're going to talk a little bit about some of the historical factors that have led to the, the gap in, in equity and wealth within the African-American community. But today's guest is uh, Dr. Dana Carson, who is the pastor of the Rock World Outreach International. Dr. Carson, welcome to the Black Money Tree Podcast. Oh, thank you. Thank you. All right. So let's go ahead and jump in. And let's I always want to hear a little bit about your past. Now, you I know you personally, of course, you have three earned doctor degrees, executive MBA from Duke, I believe a master's in entrepreneurship or and, and economic from in economic development University of Houston. So how did you let's talk about growing up. What, what was your exposure to entrepreneurship and wealth building? What were you taught at home? Well, you know, there's a statement that I hold that is very, very true. More is caught than is taught. So my parents growing up on the south side of Chicago, my parents didn't sit me down and teach me anything about entrepreneurship and economic development, but they were former, uh, they were former in, uh, uh, sharecroppers from Mississippi who moved in the Great Migration to Chicago. And they worked their way up in factories and eventually they bought their own property. It was an apartment building and uh, had five apartments in it and we stayed in one and they rented the other apartments and eventually they retired and uh, they lived off of the revenue that they made uh, from, the, from the building they bought and uh, also their retirement. Now me, I started as young, I was catching that entrepreneur spirit and I was selling food off the back porch yeah. in the neighborhood. And so all the kids would come buy hot dogs and, 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 and other items for me. I would go to the local candy store and then sell them off my back porch. And it was a very lucrative business for me until I learned the real business lesson. My mother yeah. found out I was cooking up all of her food and I thought she was going to kill me. But she told me, I don't mind you selling, but you've got to replenish what you take. 
Well, that cut into all my profits, so I stopped. But that's where I got that entrepreneur spirit from yeah. my parents, watching them. I caught it. I wasn't taught it. Yeah, no, that's interesting, interesting. Now, let's shift the conversation a little bit, because I know you have a very deep background in terms of history, and you're a pastor. And you wrote a book that I thought, I think is a masterpiece, uh, The Five Watersheds of History and Theology. And you talked about the church and how it was, um, I don't want to say advanced, developed or whatnot. And you talked about how the church was used as a tool. And this is my assessment. I remember I shared it with you before. And you, I think you kind of cleaned up my assessment. So clean up anything <laughs> I mess up. Uh, the way I got it was the church was almost uh, in the Bible was taken by Europeans and kind of used as a tool to perpetuate the economics of of Europeans and and to keep African-Americans subservient. So first of all, quickly, I know you ain't got time to go through all of them, but quickly talk about the five watersheds and let's talk a little bit about how that mess with us mentally and, and has has led to this equity gap that we see today. Okay, so the five watersheds, real quick, is about the development of Christianity and the church and how Christianity at its, at its roots was a form of Judaism called the Messianic community, and so it was Jewish. So to understand the real teachings of Jesus and the Bible, you'd have to have great respect for uh, the Jewish background. Well, when the church became mainstream in the Gentile world, uh, the Romans uh, took control of the church and Constantine the Great. And so we they took the Jewishness out of the church and, and exchanged it for European culture. So uh, the church changed its identity, its culture, its worship, its focus, its practices, and it left us Jewish roots. In fact, it became an anti-Semitic organization that was governed now by Romanization, Europeanization, colonization, um, uh, um, uh, Westernization, and Americanization of the gospel. So they, they turned it, uh, they changed it, and transform the church of Jesus Christ in this Jewish context to a European uh, economic powerhouse that they utilize to help control and colonize the world in the name of a European God uh, or European figure of God, uh, a white Jesus, blue eyes, and they used it to, subs uh, to subjugate uh, Indians, African-Americans, and others, in a nutshell. So I, I, I like that. And it, one of the things you shared in the book, at least what I got, you talked about how uh, we viewed, we, we, we reverenced God, and we viewed, because they created this white image of God, we viewed Europeans as God's preferred people. Yeah. And we felt like our plight or duty was to help to perpetuate their economics, and we would get ours later. Talk a little bit about that. Well, you know, once, you know, Martin Luther once said, even though he wasn't true to his own teachings in terms of he was anti Semitic and uh, he didn't 
get all the icons out of the church. But Martin Luther said, idols in the church creates idols in the mind. And so we have this portrait of Christ that made us think and believe, and they perpetuated and taught that we were inferior and that white people were superior. So it made it, it caused us in a very subconscious way to feel as though white people were supposed to live in abundance because they were God's preferred people. And uh, if we serve them faithfully as God's people, then that was some kind of way a merit to us. And that whole thinking was used to help perpetuate uh, slavery and the slave church. And they told slaves, if you would obey your masters, and then in the, in the by and by in the, in, in the sky, you'll, you'll receive your reward. And so this pie in the sky, after you die, that's when you get the payoff, and it's based upon how well you serve yeah. white people who were the image of God. Yeah, yeah, no, that was, uh, the way you broke that down, it was kind of masterful, and I had to kind of reflect on a lot of the ways I thought and the ways I was raised, because you hear a lot of uh, folk, they almost... Uh, portray wealth and wealth building as evil and you know the eye of the needle and it's easier for uh, uh you know uh, yeah the camel to go through an eye needle uh, than for a rich man so it's almost like wealth and wealth building is demonized so clear that up is, is there anything wrong with having money and wealth okay so first of all god said in deuteronomy 8 and 18 it is the lord who gives you, you the, the power the ability to make wealth. To make wealth. Yeah. So if wealth was wrong, God wouldn't give you the power and the ability to make wealth. Wealth is not the issue. It's the injustices of how we obtain and distribute wealth, how we handle and manage wealth. But there's nothing wrong with wealth. When we look at God's people, we uh, Israel, <clears throat> we know that they... Uh, I'm so sorry. We know that God uh, allowed them to go into exile because of the disobedience. But nonetheless, the Bible says he's married to the backslider. So we know that when things end eschatologically in the end times, he will come back and deal with Israel. Now, I said all of that theological uh, information to say that God's hand is still on Israel and God is not through with Israel. And Israel is some of the most wealthiest people. Some would argue the most wealthiest people on the planet. Uh, God taught them how to acquire and grow their wealth. Coming out of all of the hardship that they went through, coming out of the Holocaust 1947 and 48, becoming their own nation and looking at the wealth that they've amassed uh, prior to the diaspora, uh, <clears throat> then after the diaspora and the reestablishing of Israel as a nation, uh, they would call it today big balling and shot calling. Yeah. That's Israel. They lead in technology and uh, many, many fields today. So uh, the Bible doesn't speak about 
money being evil or wealth being evil. There's a lot of good we could do with wealth. It's the love of money where you forget about human beings, you forget about ethics, values, principles. That's when, when wealth becomes dangerous, man. But listen, Paul said, I would that you prosper and be in good health even as your soul prospers. Yeah, yeah. So talk about, let's talk about the black preacher and the black church, which has long been a hub of the black community. I think of teachers. Teachers are supposed to teach. But now what a lot of the breakdowns in society and culture, kids aren't getting the things that they need at home and their roles are expanded where they're having to be the kid's counselor. They're providing all kinds of stuff. And in that same respect, as a black preacher, you're leading mostly black people who don't have some of the fundamentals uh, of, of finance, wealth building, strong family structure. And there are roles that you have to fill that probably isn't in the job description, if you will. And when you look at your counterparts and white pastors, what pressure or what do you feel like is your role in terms of helping black people in general, building wealth and some of the other roles that really aren't in the Bible directly, if you will. Talk a little bit about that. Okay, so first of all, of course, there's a great contrast between the roles of white preachers and black preachers. But when we look at the role of the black preacher historically, the black preacher uh, was the leading man in the community. They tend to be the ones who uh, were taught to read first, they got an education, and because of their exposure, then that, um, that put a demand and a, and a need uh, upon the black preacher to help with the evolution and the success of the black community. So we were high school principals, we were insurance yeah. men, we were real estate. We, we, we taught, the black preacher had to be everything, the lawyer, uh, in order to help advocate justice and equality in the black community. Now, of course, whites don't have to do that because they have uh, equity, uh, they, they have equality, uh, you know, among yeah. themselves. And so, so for the black preacher, we have to teach our people not only how to uh, learn the Bible and live a spiritual life, but we also have to teach them uh, how to become economically stable and how to become judicially uh, uh, aligned. And so we, we have to do a lot. And as a black preacher then, we have to embrace the role and accept the role that if our people are going to uh, maximize their potential, we play a great role in there and in, in, in that and it's much it goes much further than just just Bible. So we got to teach education, we got to teach economics, we got to teach investments. We got to teach a, a whole lot if our because if our people are progressed. Historically, the preacher was trusted, but now today uh, things are changing in terms of how the community and society is interpreting the preacher 
but it cannot change how the preacher is interpreting the community because our people still have the same needs they had hundreds of years ago. So since you, you brought that up, let's talk about that, the trust of the black preacher. You know, one of the things that you've talked about in the past is value. You know, what you value, you know, you, you want to invest in. And a lot of people will, let's just say, demonize the pastor if he has nice things, yet they want nice things. But somehow you can't have nice things. But you're supposed to help them get nice things, but you can't have right, nice things, right. which don't really make any sense. If this is the man that's helping me get nice things, he probably could help me get some more nicer things if he was living nice. Right, you know, right. that's the way I think. Talk a little bit about that. Well, you know, first of all, that whole theology comes out of Roman. It comes out of watershed theology uh, the and Catholic, Roman Catholicism, the vow of poverty of the Roman Catholic priests. While they live extremely nice in the Vatican and other places, they have a healthy salary. But that was transposed into our culture as well. And people then thought that preachers are to live lowly lives and not have much. But now, of course, things have changed. And even though preachers and ministers typically don't brag and boast about their possessions uh, if we don't know how to acquire and retain wealth it's going to be very difficult to teach people what you don't know and what you have not experienced and so I think that it is important for the preacher to be able to be financially literate and it's not how much you make, Jerome. It's what you do with what you make. It's about growing your wealth. It's not just about storing your wealth. And so it doesn't matter how much a preacher starts off making. If a preacher is knowledgeable about wealth, he, can, he or she can build their wealth. And when a person builds their wealth, when they feel the time is appropriate for them, to splurge and to get this or get that, that that's that's their personal uh, portfolio of wealth that they have jurisdiction over. And unfortunately, we just cannot continue to try to live a life to please people that say the preacher is not supposed to have anything. Yeah. Well, those people just probably won't be a part of your congregation, and they're probably not going to be a part of any congregation. So just think about it. If you are a vegan, it doesn't matter uh, what meat eaters say about you not eating uh, meat because you don't listen to them. You've already made up you. I'm a vegan. So what am I doing listening to meat eaters? So I think that's what happens. A lot of times that kind of rhetoric comes from people that don't even have an appreciation for yeah. what we do. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's good. That's good. <laughs> so let's go back to wealth building, entrepreneurship, and education. Now, you have a whole bunch of degrees. I won't go through them all again, but you clearly believe in education. What role do you think that plays in the advancement of one financially, and specifically in the area of entrepreneurship, and in real estate, uh, uh, talk a little bit about that. Okay. So, first of all, <clears throat> as you know, 
I have eight degrees, three for some of the finest institutions in our country. So I don't have a bunch of jive degrees, a lot of you know, write-in and mail-in degrees. I actually have bona fide degrees. Now, I had to say that to say this. When it comes to wealth building, I believe formal education beyond the high school level is overrated. I believe that it's the attitude and the aptitude of the individual that's going to really make the difference because a lot of your more successful entrepreneurs don't even have degrees in entrepreneurship and business, but they have, they have that entrepreneurial gene and uh, they were, they probably caught it or they were taught it in some kind of way by other entrepreneurs or they are wired that way. Now, Having said that, though, when we look at statistics with black people and we're talking about the school to prison pipeline, it's definitely uh, important that our kids get an education because statistics show that our kids do better societally when they have an education. But we, uh, they don't necessarily build wealth and our black middle class is educated class and they tend to live in a better class, but they still don't necessarily build wealth. And so I think entrepreneurship is one of the vehicles for building wealth. There are only three vehicles to build wealth. That's real estate, entrepreneurship, and investment, not a professional job. Yeah. It's, it's not what you bring in once again. It's what you do with what yeah. you have. You know, it's interesting you say that. My dad, um, all he was blue-collar worker, aircraft mechanic, um, left my mom, big old house paid off cash, Lexus paid off cash. He paid for all of us to go through college cash out of his pocket. Net worth was certainly well ahead of your average population. But if you would have asked him, he would have felt like I should have been doing more because I, he, didn't, he didn't get a college degree. So for me, in, what I see in many respects, sometimes – seems like a college degree almost hinders your ability to create wealth because you feel like because I got this degree, somebody's supposed to give me money and it takes away that hustle, that drive to, yeah. to manage it. You just feel like I got this piece of paper and people going to give me money. What, what yeah. do you think about that? You know, I, I agree. And <clears throat> of course, I'm an academician and I wouldn't cha change that for nothing in the world. But now, you know, as I as a pastor, I probably have one, as an African-American pastor, I probably have one of the largest uh, real estate portfolios in our country. And people don't know that. But now that's out of the entrepreneurial gene. That's not out of my education. However, my education helped me to understand some things and it to enhance that gene. But uh, I believe that sometimes our education puts us in a box and it makes us uh, too, too limited in our thinking and it doesn't drive us to hustle. An entrepreneur hustles, yeah. but you tend to value yourself more because of those degrees and you expect people to pay you 
based on your past performance, your past yeah. academic performance, not what you create. Actually doing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so. You know, my, my oldest brother was the only one out of me and my three brothers, sisters that didn't have a degree. And he makes more money than all of us. But it was almost like he's an entrepreneur. He has a mobile pet grooming company. He has a contract cleaning company, uh, all kinds of stuff. And it was almost like he had a chip on his shoulder because he wanted to prove everybody that said you got to have a college degree that I'm going I'm to show you how to make money and I don't need a college degree. So, but I agree with that. Now, you got ahead of me a little bit. We're out of time, but I did want, you were doing some phenomenal things. 221 acres of land, Booker T. Washington Empowerment Center. Talk a little bit about some of the things that you're doing to, to help to build wealth within the community, not only for your own church and your own congregation, but others within the community. Talk a little about GPS. I mean, you got so much stuff, uh, <laughs> okay. but talk just a little bit about it. Okay, well, you know, we <clears throat> we own three mega church campuses. All three of our campuses are large church campuses. Uh, and that's to bring empowerment in each community that we are uh, located in. And because on each of those campuses, we have empowerment for the community and we're working on creating more and to create programs of wealth building so we can teach and we utilize all of our campuses uh, for multi-usage. And then we have a leadership development company, a corporation, where we're training leaders. I also have a PhD in organizational leadership. So I'm training leaders on how to lead. Leaders are not born, they're made. So we teach leadership. Then we have 221 acres where we plan to build for-profit ventures uh, that we uh, will utilize to support our global missions and efforts in taking the gospel around the world. But also, our young people are going away to college to come back to take over that 221 acres so that they can run businesses, uh, just do all kinds of things. And we also have an entrepreneurial training program. Actually, in my uh, master's degree at uh, University of Houston, Economic Development and Entrepreneurship, my thesis was an entrepreneurial program. And so we're uh, setting up to teach that program to, uh, the, to the community because there's so many black entrepreneurs. We have a high percentage of black entrepreneurs, but we have the highest percentage of failure among entrepreneurs. And so we're doing that. We're starting the first uh, black uh, healthy soul food culinary school. Okay. Uh, and so we're going to start a culinary school where we teach blacks uh, how to really capitalize on our natural gifts of cooking soul food and then turn that cooking gift into a business. And so we're excited about that, what we're trained on every aspect of, of culinary. And so then we're doing things globally. We have a school in Kenya, and we're trying to uh, get, we're, we're trying to build that program to have an exchange student program from our school in Kenya. We're trying to take it to the high school level. 
and then have high school students exchange because I believe a lot of maximizing one's potential has a great deal to do with their exposure and experience. To an ignorant man, they know they know everything. To an exposed person, that makes them hungry again. That's yeah. another thing. They realize, man, I don't know what I thought I knew. Yeah. And so, uh, so we're, we're, we're doing, doing a lot of things, and I thank you for acknowledging that. Oh, no problem, no problem. Now, we're out of time, but I did want to give you a minute. Tell us where we can find you, social media, uh, where we can stream you, all that good stuff if you want to. Give us okay. a couple, little bit on that. Well, well, listen, uh, we'll let you put that on the Lord third, because <laughs> you know my staff they do all of that. I'm an okay. older guy, so I don't walk around and re remembering all of that. So I'm gonna have you to have put put all of our social media handle on that lower third, if you don't mind. No problem, no okay. problem. But thank you, Dr. Carson. It's been a pleasure having you on the Black Money Tree Podcast. Okay, thank you so much. And thank you for joining us on another episode of the Black Money Tree Podcast. We're really excited about the movement, building our own marketplace. Please join us in Houston, Texas for our 20-year celebration in Houston, Texas. Visit our website, theblackmoneytree.com. We have all kinds of resources that's dedicated to helping you build wealth so that you can build your community. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Black Money Tree Podcast. Don't forget to like and share this video. And if you want more content like this, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll see you next time.